Escape from Plan A. Welcome to Escape from Plan A. This is Teen, uh, and I've got Philip. What's up? And I've got Jess. Yo. Uh, we were, yeah, we were like five minutes into it, and then we're like, ah, we just, we just um, hit restart on it because uh, Jess got her new mic connected. You sound like way better than before. Very fancy. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay, so we wanted to talk about. I was just. I came across uh, this thing today called the Asian Hustle Network, and uh, <laughs> the reason is because I was I was I was on Twitter, and then uh, I was kind of like tweeting about how I f- feel like a lot of there's like this hustle culture online now where people are like I don't know there's like they're all participating in like sort of secondary jobs, mm. or, you know, or 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 whatever it is they've got a side hustle they call it, and. It just a lot of it seemed kind of scammy to me, you know, and then this guy responded and he was like, because I was like talking about this story that I saw in the Wall Street Journal about a couple that had sold their or got got out of their apartment lease and bought an RV and went around the country. And this guy goes, oh, yeah, I know an Asian guy that did that. He got out of his apartment and he got an RV and he also scammed the shit out of me for eighty five thousand dollars. <laughs> and and I was like, oh whoa, DM me for details. I, wait, I wait, wasn't know it collectively it. like six hundred grand between a bunch of people or something? Like it was a massive amount of it was money. was a lot of money. Yeah. And I was like, dude, you have to get in the DMs and tell me what was going on, you know? And so he starts giving me details. And he said this guy would go around and, you know, say that he has connections to all these franchises, like like restaurant franchises, possibly uh-huh. I guess in Asia or something. And, oh, do you want to get in? Because I have the exclusive license to open up a franchise in the United States. You know, and he'd mm-hmm. be like, if you want in on it, it's going to be like whatever, this much or whatever. And he would go into a place called, I mean, of course, he, the investments were all fake. He would just pocket the money and run. Yeah. And uh, and I guess part of it, part of getting the RV was apparently to run away. <laughs> like to and, not have a permanent address where you could be issued a, a you know. Can't, can't get, get served if you're never, if they don't know where to find you. Is that, that's right. That sort of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You can't get served if you're in a trip, if you're in a different trailer park every night. So I just thought that was hilarious and not, not, not hilarious that it got scanned, but just that, <laughs> that, you know, you know, that this was going on. And he, and he said, well, this guy used to post into the Asian hustle network and that's where he would find his victims. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I've heard of this before. And it made me kind of think of what you were talking about, Philip, uh, a few pods ago. I think both of you, you two, uh, Philip and Jess were, it was some, it was a pod that you all did about tech and work. And, and, and Philip was just sort of like, you were, you were expressing a lot of, uh, uh, misgivings, I guess, about sort of entrepreneurial culture and kind of what it's morphed into. And I think you were talking a bit about drop shipping, yeah, and and that kind of hustle, that game. Yeah, there's a certain certain archetype. I mean, entrepreneurship is like this big, wide thing, right? But there's a certain archetype. This, you know, what you're kind of describing as this like hustler culture or hustle culture that's emerged recently, and a lot of it seems to be people who are. You know, like they're not like making anything, they're not producing anything, they're not actually selling like a tangible good, well, that they've created themselves or a service that actually is of real value. They've they're just replicating shit that's being made elsewhere overseas. 
and really they're just marketing it and selling it locally, right? Like just now, you we we talked about this. Like a lot of them are just like there's a guy who's literally selling like wine racks. Was it on Amazon? That's the right? canonical example that always sticks in my head. But it <laughs> yeah, varies. For some reason. Yeah. yeah, there's always this luxury bullshit, you know, very kind of like um, you know bougie marketing, like nice graphic design, but nothing more than just like printed sweatshirts, like bought off you know Alibaba or something, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's 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 one of those things where like you're these aren't like huge hauls, right? I notice uh, these guys uh, like Philip. I think you may have listened to more of uh, like what was it called, like Asian Boss or something like badass Asian dudes, badass Asian, badass B-A-D. Asian dudes. You, yep. you <laughs> cringe. Um, you might have listened <laughs> to it more than I did, but they don't ever talk about numbers uh, from the episodes that I listened to, and I think there's a reason for that. Like these aren't big hauls. Mm. No one's like crushing it. These aren't like uh, these aren't unicorn style numbers. It doesn't get that fevered um, like money lust language that Silicon Valley likes to deploy for its for its uh, unicorn darlings. These are yeah, very small no fuck, scale no transactions. Yeah. yeah, it's not fuck you money. It's like if you're selling a wine rack for like thirty dollars, uh, you're making like I, I don't know. I think you might might be lucky to to get like five dollars or something off that transaction, something like that, because you're not manufacturing shit, right? Um, and you're but paying our, a hefty our, our, cut to these existing platforms. So, um, it's it's these small it, it's these small uh, livings that you're kind of yeah. skimming off the top. But but our critique of it wasn't just like the actual functional business side and how much money you can make, et cetera, et cetera. It was it was actually about like this kind of mystique they built around it, right? This whole yeah. like this is the hustle culture, right? This whole culture yeah. around this idea that, oh, I'm living like super cheaply in Ho Chi Minh City or in Thailand or something, and I'm like a digital nomad and I've got this drop shipping, you know, business that's, you know, paying me enough that I can work for myself and not for the man and all this stuff. There's never any conversation about like maybe what they didn't like about their desk job they had before getting into mm-hmm. this, right? Like the kind of mm-hmm. analysis that we like to talk about here on this pod. It's, it's always just like trying to play up this idea that this is the thing that you can be doing. And as a, you know, entrepreneurial Asian person, you should be doing, right? Which yeah. I think really bothered us. My, my critique of it, I mean, honestly, I don't care whether they're drop shipping stuff and whether they're providing an actual useful service or whether they're just providing a, a markup. Um, I don't really, it doesn't really bother me because, I mean, in a way, that's what all business is to an extent, right? Like, if if someone is going to go to Asia, buy like white label products, and then you know market it in a bullshit way and sell it for a premium in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and they're able to do it, they've just recreated the business model of like Apple, you know, like yeah, or or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I'm overstating that a little bit, but you know, my point is like, you know, that's what that's what business does. So in that sense, like in that way, I don't really have a problem with it. My problem with it is I'm not sure that this stuff works. And just like when you say they're not showing big numbers, like I think that's kind of the allure of it in a way because it makes it seem more realistic. And I think the part of what what bothers me is that they present this as almost like a surefire thing. Like as opposed to, you know, swinging for the fences by doing, you know, a startup where you go get funding in Silicon Valley and you're like, you know, aiming for a big, you know, a big payday, big exit. Mm -hmm. This is kind of like, oh, yeah, no, we're not talking about, you know, swinging for the fences here. This is like grounding out singles every day. And (laughs) you, you know, like you go to your job and, you know, you work and we all have jobs too, but we don't want to be stuck behind the desk for the rest of our lives. And so what we're doing is we have these sort of like micro business models that you can put into if you have the the energy and the willingness to commit to it 
you could build passive income that will slowly take over so that you could one day quit your job early and just live entirely off passive income. Mm-hmm. And there, there are viable ways to do that. You know what I mean? And, uh, the, I, well, there were viable ways to do that. Uh, particularly with people taking out, um, you know, no, no money down loans to go buy rental properties. Right. That was really the way <laughs> to do it. But now it's like, the demand that everyone used to that that used to get satisfied in almost entirely by real estate now it seems like there's new avenues of doing this and it started to sort of like blend with mlm type schemes like i know like people who are doctors for example and this this is one that kind of disturbs me is like actual doctors who who are really selling like rodan and fields and those kinds of like you know white label skin like these mlm style skin products oh yeah that's even that's the like legit end of that. Uh, the other one is a uh, like uh, like Alex Jones, right? He makes his money mostly off of those supplements and shit that he he, right, right. he sells oh, on his yeah. website. Um, the formulation is uh, by his dad, who actually is a doctor. You know, so it's oh, like really? it's it's yeah. So there's this whole like shadow network, like all these like supplements. Um, they're all kind of white labeled from just a, a stocks group of like OEMs. This is you see this replicated at. Mm-hmm everywhere like uh like cosmetics skincare um like supplements mm-hmm. everything that you can kind of group under like wellness or some shit uh, uh you'll find like there's just like a handful of manufacturers and everyone's basically just licensing and rebranding that stuff what does being their... a doctor have to do with any of this like is it just to provide credibility is there some just to provide like, credibility element to this yeah oh and the, to provide and in the cases where i know the part of the reason is because they absolutely hate being doctors <laughs> and they and they they hate their jobs. They're open about that. If you know, you know, if you talk to these people, okay, um, outside of their Instagram uh, account. But if you go to the Instagram account, of course, you get a different story, which is like, oh, I've always been passionate about wellness and 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 healing, and sure. you know, I wanted to find and promote a brand that matched, you know, that I felt embodied the the passion that I have towards passion and passionate well-being <laughs> you know like yeah. uh well, why can't it, you do that by like you know literally being a surgeon or being like a pediatrician and like taking care of people be, the old-fashioned way instead of like giving them fucking skin lotions like i don't be, understand and because this is money you can make without being without directly doing that work because that work sucks yes no because uh, no well, no, well see, for them i'll argue that it's mm-hmm. both i think we do have a hierarchy of uh value of labor value in this country uh, maybe in others, but I can only speak to this one. This one, we value shit like being a job creator, producing value, right? Um, uh-huh. That language that you see replicated in, in like, in when, when people talk about economics, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like people who need some help from the government, they're, they're portrayed as seeking a handout. Whereas the people at the very top are Making producing that, and, like yeah. they're creating that value. They're producing that that money. So I think that's the that's the over, that that frames the the conversation here where um no matter what you're working no matter what if you are working for your money like a salary or or an hourly wage kind of job you are locked into this one stratum on this uh uh on this hierarchy of labor value if you can squeeze out a little bit of money on a side hustle, you've now just you can now add entrepreneur. You can just call yourself a value producer for some reason because you have this passive income. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some allure to it. So I think I mean, a yeah, a lot of people do this because their actual jobs suck 
and don't pay that well. So there's material reasons that people are incentivized to go looking for these side um, these side hustles, generate a little cash. But B, I, I really do think that we are trained to see that kind of work as more meaningful than um, as more meaningful than like literally having to work for your wages. Yeah, like I, I can, I can kind of understand that if like your your day job was just a paper pusher at you know in in the government or in some some company or whatever, right? But like I feel like at least as a doctor, you're providing what society has believed to be a very important service, which is like medical aid for people who are sick. So that one is just you know a head scratcher for me. Why that would be considered like a well, because doctor. I think I think that the wages for doctors are not particularly good right now. I think that really? the, the work yeah, yeah. isn't that one of the better paying like isn't that why Asians are aspire to be doctors? You yeah. actually make a buck yeah, yeah. But it? how long? I mean, how long does it take to get? I mean, one of the big problems with being a doctor, I think, is how long it takes to get to the point where you're actually making doctor wages. Uh-huh. It's a long road. It's seven years at least after college before you right. even get there. And then the pay has gone down uh, or not really gone up in a while. And the hours are brutal and the conditions are not good. And it's not as lucrative as it used to be. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I have, uh, a, I have a friend just as a just because I know this person. Um, he just finished residency um, like kind of kind of switched careers a few years in so he's on the older side he's he's in his 40s he's a gp now general practitioner Mm -hmm. he just started working and it's a really low wage compared to a how much how much work uh he had to put in uh how long it took because it's you know uh, like he didn't go to med school right away. He he was he was doing something else. I forget what. Uh, so he went back to med school pretty late. But then after that, it was like five years of residency, and you know what what do they call the thing that they do after post post residency that that two to three year like add on you tack on to residency. So his base pay is really low. It'll probably go up incrementally over the next few years. But I mean, dude's in his forties. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it doesn't come close to you know, uh, you know, providing the kind of standard of living that we've come to expect. Uh, being a doctor will get you. Uh, not to mention the silent, uh, the invisible weight, which is his student loans that mm-hmm, he took mm-hmm. on to get him to that point. He, I mean, he was he was living off of loans and credit cards all through residency because he had he took residency in uh, in L.A., which is an extremely high cost of living city. Um, and resident wages were not uh, are not are falling behind the cost of living. Yeah, so doctors have not... this weird thing where they get paid less in the big cities, and yeah. it's yeah. a kind of a reverse thing for most jobs. But and and probably a lot of them end up working for HMOs, and so they're just sort of like wage slaves for a big company, just like anyone else. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. become very corporatized. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 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 I think that that in in the in the few cases that I know where doctors were participating in MLMs, uh, it was just the same as anybody else in terms of buying into, I think the the, the underlying promise of these ML of these hustle things. Well, I don't even know what to call them. These like, well, that was an MLM, but like you know these 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 hustle these side hustles, which is. Invest now so you can escape. It's a, it's it's almost like a way to escape, um, and sort of avoid confronting. I think what is a very harsh truth that I think, and I'm going to get psychological here for a sec, if you don't mind. I think people are having a harder and harder time confronting the material reality of work in America, which is that you know you are going to spend the vast majority of the allotted hours in your life 
dedicated to working for wages in a job that you absolutely hate for a boss that you hate under conditions that you can't stand. And that's just going to be the majority of your life. And you kind of know it and you kind of know it's just going to get worse from there. And so I think with that kind of tunnel vision where you start, you know, I think everyone kind of understands that reality now, especially given how expensive housing is, the crushing weight of student debt. I mean, we're all starting now, or not we, but like younger people are starting from a negative position. They're starting like deep in the red, you know, um, that I can understand the allure uh, of of the notion of a side hustle that if you if you really grind it out in your in your earlier years, if you really put in you know insane amounts of times to your both your regular job and then a side hustle, that you could maybe get an early reprieve, whereas everyone else is going to be chained to their desk until the day they die. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. other phenomenon attached to this is fire, right? Like, you know, financial independence, retire early, which we, I think we, yeah, we had an episode about fire with mm-hmm. Ray at one point, right? Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. that, that ties into the same issue of like, I hate my fucking job. I want to get out as the whole goal is to optimize your investments and your, your, your incomes and your costs so you can basically not work, <laughs> right? Um, right. Yeah, whereas hustle culture is, is kind of, you know, it, it's one of the elements of FIRE, I suppose, in that you are producing more revenue streams to stop working, or at least to work in a way where you're not working in a job you don't like. Yeah, I mean, there's some jobs that uh, they're le- like their legitimacy, like, it's almost hard to distinguish between um, the job and the side hustle. Like, uh, like one of the last jobs that I had was um, actually working for a boutique firm that mainly specialized in selling online, like internet net services uh, uh-huh. to like to lawyers, to attorney, uh, like small scale attorneys, like like maybe solo pract- practitioner attorneys or very small boutique firms of like maybe 10 attorneys, something like that. Um, and it was kind of interesting to see, like, to kind of get a peek in the behind the scenes workings. Because you see, like, we talked about being a doctor. I think being a lawyer is also one of, like, the canonical, you know, quote, proper job um, categories that we think about, right? Um, and it's kind of weird. It was really weird to see how uh, hustly uh, slash scammy um, it actually was to actually be a working attorney. Um, in a solo <laughs> really? or small practice. Yeah, yeah. Like their entire, they, they can only make money by doing these like hustly kinds of things. Like we would help them like build a build a website to hang their shingle, um, like how to, how to drive ad revenue. Um, uh, so I felt kind of bad for these guys. It's obviously not what they signed up for when they went to law school. Um, some of these attorneys were fairly, were getting on in years. So we're talking like attorneys in their fifties who were suddenly uh, frustrated by the fact that their, their client base just dropped out from of nowhere. Just the revenue was falling. So they, they're desperate to kind of bring it back up again. And to do that, they have to kind of switch to, they have to kind of shift their business model um, to go on, to be online. Um, right. So at that point, it's like, it's like there was their side hustle. It's not a side, their entire job is a hustle. And I think that's happening. That's happening more and more. And and I mean, I think the the part about being in tech is that that mentality is kind of part of the. It's kind of weird that it's one of the jobs where the side hustle is kind of embedded into the mythos of this job category. Mm-hmm. Like you're never really supposed to be an engin- a software engineer for long. 
you're supposed to, you're not really supposed to be a career lifer at Facebook or Google. I mean, those companies yeah, you're supposed are... to kill the you're supposed to kill the game mm-hmm. and, and and get the fuck out. Yeah. And for I, like I have a friend who's a bone doctor. He's a he's a surgeon. Bone uh, doctor. Or, or, or he's an ortho surgeon. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a bone doc. And you should sell bone broth. The yeah. bone doc. Yeah. It's disgusting. That's horrid. That's horrid. That's really it's fucked like with, up. Yeah. <laughs> with the uh <laughs> with the with the extra unused materials. So he's like, um, you know, he's a very honest guy and he'll say really corny shit to me. He was like, you know, he's like, you know, I you know, honestly, dude, he was like, I just wanted honest pay for an honest day's work. And it's almost laughable when you hear someone it's say like, that because loser. <laughs> yeah, it's almost laughable. And he's and the way the reason he was telling me that was because, you know, he had um bought into like a partnership, you know, fairly early on when he started his career. And he was like, Okay, turns out that like Medicare, which is responsible for paying most of the surgeon fees, doesn't really pay that much. It was like mm-hmm. under fifteen hundred bucks per surgery. And these are pretty heavy, you know, serious surgeries, and then you've got to pay on top of that all the overhead and the insurance uh-huh. and all this stuff. So you come out the other end with like a thousand bucks, maybe. If you're lucky for for like a pretty big sur- major surgery, you know, hip replacement, and so he started wondering like how exactly do people make a million dollars a year when they're getting paid a thousand? You can't do a thousand surgeries in, mm-hmm. in a year, mm-hmm. right? So how do how exactly do doctors maintain that level of income? Some of them clearly are pulling in huge amounts of money. Well, he found all sorts of fucked up shit. Number one is. They actually would do more surgeries than they were able to actually do by what they would do is they would actually do schedule three or four surgeries at a time. And the doctor would actually do the surgeries in a kind of rotation and have (laughs) other attendings, you know, make sure that the patient was stable. And then they just go into four different ORs and rotate Mm -hmm. and do four surgeries in parallel. That was one. But the other thing, there are two other things. One was selling uh you know the like the stuff that like braces and stuff those were like extremely high markup they're very cheap but they sell them for a big markup and so they would engage in a lot of like markups on uh selling braces and and the like uh you know severely overcharging for that stuff so that was another way to supplement the income and the third way was basically taking fees from uh companies that uh you know um that 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 sold implants so then mm-hmm. you would you would have a sort of like backdoor income channel coming from companies that sold the implants and of course the fourth was uh you know rampant medicare fraud right and mm-hmm. so uh you know charging for things that weren't done so he was telling me that you know the reality is that even medicine is not at all because i i think almost that that seems like the last bastion of honest work but yeah. that, that has been o- totally overtaken by hustle and grift Mm-hmm. And I feel like if something like being a surgeon has become grifty, I mean, what are the prospects for anyone else to have what he calls an honest pay for an honest day's work? It just seems like everything has been hustlerized. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, wonder, I wonder if to some extent that is a like exacerbated issue in America. Because um, this all makes me think of like my, my, uh, my father-in-law is a, was a surgeon. He's retired now. And we had a conversation after he retired about like, I just asked him like, you know, Canadian surgeons, Canadian doctors like are known to like not make as much as American doctors. And often they will get their education in Canada at a good school, travel down to the States and make 
you know, make bank and then like come back here later, retire or whatever. Right. Like, mm-hmm. so I asked him, why, why didn't you ever do that? And he said, like, he's, he's actually known that like a lot of doctors he, that he's worked with, who he's trained or, you know, uh, they've actually gone into the States and an equal number of them have actually come back to Canada because the, the common pattern is that, um, you know, from his perception, being a doctor in America is more like running a business than it is being a doctor. Everything is scaled up because the costs are all kind of super crazy, right? So like you have these massive overheads when you run your, your practice uh, in a way that you don't see in the same way in Canada where it's all kind of like, pu- you know, public and so on. Um, so that, that was definitely one aspect of it that, that, uh, that, that is different. So I wonder if in the States, because of the system is set up there, you know, you have all these overheads, you have less margin, you have to participate in these kind of almost grifty, dishonorable things in order to make the living you, you want to make. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it's a little bit of a surprise to me to some extent. Um, I bet there's a significant number of doctors who would not, who, uh, could be talked into single payer quite more readily than we're, we're thought to believe. Like, re- oh, b- like, oh, because the model is actually going to end up like being more equitable for them in terms of like work. For yeah. Pay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I notice it's a striking uh, gap in when we talk about single payer or not. We don't actually there isn't a lot of stuff that focuses on the actual like practitioners mm-hmm. who would be directly like who would be directly in the thick of all of this. A switch from the model that we have here in the States to a single payer model mm-hmm. um, from the from the little like anecdotal experience that I have. I think a lot of doctors would be open to it. I mean, none of like you're, you're absolutely correct. I hear a lot of frustration that it's a completely a business and they're doctors yeah they don't go to school to learn how to like run like i don't invoicing software keep track of manage an office how to how to file you know make sure you file like your licensing and your um insurance papers and then yeah um, but but here's the yeah. but this is the sinister thing about about hustle culture right is that it's it's always sold to you and this is what we talked about just right with uh with like these badassation dudes and the businesses is that it's always sold to you as like a positive thing as like a lifestyle thing like you want to do the hustle because <laughs> It is better work, higher value, more interesting, more kind of self, you know, um, self-driven, and so on, right? Like yeah, that's I, a total I hear myth. about it, total it, it, it is, myth. but it, it gets sold to people because I, I definitely hear about like dentists, right? Who mm-hmm. who talk um, about how you know part of like the work is that they mm-hmm. they they perceive it as entrepreneurial because they know that they have to like run the practice as much as they have to actually do the work of like fixing teeth. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But they they describe it at least the the, the dentists in training that I've talked to um, as like a interesting part of the work rather than like a, a grind that you know makes the margins worse for them or takes up time and expertise that they don't have or whatever the negative side uh, side effects are of that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's totally sold as a as a lifestyle thing. It's and I think it's a bit of like faking it till you make it. I have, I have to believe that there's some amount of self delusion being propagated when they say this sort of thing, uh-huh. uh, because everyone who's been in the grind knows that that's not true. Um, I have never worked longer hours and had more anxiety <laughs> than through working for myself. But quote, part of the deal is they, they sell the the working extra hours as like a honorable thing to do to like you know, it's okay to work fucking 10 to 12 hours a day if you are, you know, quote unquote, doing what you love. Yeah. Right. See, that's an interesting word. Um, and this is like the third or fourth pod in a row that I'm, uh, <laughs> that I'm shilling for David Graeber's debt. 
Uh, <laughs> I feel like I should be getting a the kickback book, the for book this. The book, debt by the Gra- book debt by David Graeber. David Graeber, um, not 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 to invest in the debt of David Graeber. <laughs> Side note: Just I'm still so torn up that he died last year. Um, yeah, like ugh, God. Anyway, um, so. So I, he covers a little bit, you know, honor, we can, cons- in a, in a, in a market economy, a market society, we can think of honor as kind of surplus dignity. Um, uh, I probably don't have time to unpack all of that, but just running with that for a second. So the way we have to think of honor in a market economy where it's, everything is transactional, everything it has, a, has a certain value, a standardized value that can be traded on an open marketplace. Um, honor is kind of an intangible here. Honor is kind of what you take from others. Your honor kind of depends on you being able to take it from others. So I think when uh, when we're talking, so it expanded a little bit more broadly here. When we talk about these, like this is more valuable work. Why? Because it brings you a more le- more legitimacy in your, how you live your life. You're not under someone's control. You're not under someone's ownership. You're not beholden to anybody for the terms on, of how you live your life. We're talking about we're talking about uh, honor in that case, an honor which is tied closely to notions of freedom. And in the case of our society, it's built kind of on slave logic here, right? Our honor depends on us not being slaves. Uh-huh. Yeah, un- um, I think that's right. I think underlying this, there definitely is a feeling, um, which is a bit ma- – like when I go into the Asian Hustle Network – it's a very positive place. Like everyone's really saying positive things, but underlying that, I get the feeling that there really is um, a sense that I share that you know, just working a regu- for a regular wage in a corporate job or something is not the way to go. Mm-hmm. That you, like you said, there's no honor in that, and or whatever it is. Like the, I feel like a lot of the culture in a place like Asian Hustle Network is premised off the idea that the traditional way of working is no longer something to uh, strive for or, you know, to dedicate your life to. That's right. Um, And I think that uh, um, that hustle, it's not that dissimilar to uh, like we make fun. We've been making fun of people all year last year, you know, the anti-maskers, anti-maskers going on and on about freedom. But this is the same pathology wrapped up in a in a slightly in a slight in slightly better branding here. It's mm-hmm. a fear of not being free. Like there's deep there's a I th- I see this all as rather fear based. Like there's a posit- the fact that it's so heavily positively spun tells me that there's a very deep fear behind it all. Um, and it's a fear that you are not as free as you want to be or that you should be. Um, so if it. Maybe it, it, depending on your politics, this fear manifests as not wanting to wear a mask because you don't want you don't want gov- you know the government stepping up, like telling you what to do or don't do. This kind this hustle culture is kind of saying, every, you don't want anything. Like everything is kind of impinging on your freedom. You are not as free as you want to be, and this is one of the few avenues out from that. But but in the spirit of like David Graeber and you know his bullshit jobs theory. That's not a bad thing, right? To say like, hey, I recognize that in my like shitty paper pushing job at the office, I'm not free. I want to be free. I'm going to achieve freedom by taking my destiny into my own hands and starting this business selling, I don't know, my own gochujang 
brand like you know brand of sorry my own brand of gochujang sauce or 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 you know logama knockoff or sweatshirts printed with my graphic design work on it or whatever the hell you want to end up making, right? That's funny because I I know people who have done every, each one of those things. But yeah, I'm just I'm just reading these things off the Asian Asian <laughs> oh, oh. Network like website, so it's it's all mm-hmm. there. Um, but those those are but those are common patterns, especially around Asian Americans. They go and do recognizable things, often in food or sometimes in fashion. Um, you know, and and I think there's a just between those two topics, like there's a split there. Like if you're actually making food, you're actually producing something. But on that fashion side, when they're just kind of like largely, you know, printing things on what they call blanks in the industry, like just like, you know, T-shirts or sweatshirts or pre-made things that you can just put your own designs on, you're not producing anything, right? You're sending a like uh, Illustrator file to someone, you know, uh, on the internet somewhere and they're, you know, shipping like thousands of these sweatshirts somewhere of your choosing, and that's a very different kind of uh, hustle, I think, than like actually making, you know, a sauce or a food or, or whatever, like an actual tangible thing. Um, but it, it's it, they both fall into this, this kind of category of, of hustle, that, which really is it stems from this, like we said, like this idea of wanting to escape from some kind of bondage, right? I mean, maybe we should define hustle because I don't. <clears throat> I'm not trying to say. I, I guess we should avoid trying to say that all hustle is a scam, right? Like I'm not. Yeah. Or that all hustles are meaningless or they're not productive or whatever. But I, I would just, I, I mean, the way I see it is that hustle is seems to embody this notion that you've got to take some entrepreneurial step in your life as the only possible exit ramp off of a life of wage labor, mm-hmm. you know, or salary mm-hmm. that you've got to build up what's you know some kind of entrepreneurial source of passive income and it's a it's a side hustle so by hustle they really mean side hustle you've got to do something on the side and i think that for me when i hear hustle that's what i think of is this culture of like how do i maximize all the time that i spend not outside of work to make even more money and it 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 makes me think like okay it's kind of ironic because their solution the hustle solution to the idea that, you know, life, you know, being tethered to work is not desirable or whatever is to say, okay, the solution to that is that every time you're not at work, you can, you continue to work in some other way. So we've gone from, you know, way back in the, just, you always talk about the golden age uh, or golden era where a family could have a solid middle-class American lifestyle, you know, um, one or two cars in the garage, two two or three kids in the house, and a four bedroom house in the burbs, with you know just a single income. Just you know, dad went to work, right? Mm-hmm. Mom was a housewife. That lasted all of maybe two or three decades before we had to go to two incomes. We had to go dual income, right, mm-hmm. uh, to maintain that. And now it seems like you've got to do dual income and side gig, side mm-hmm. hustle. So now it's like, to me. It, it, it doesn't seem like the side hustle necessarily is, in my mind, um, a liberation from income. It is a necessary, almost a necessary supplement because dual income just ain't doing it anymore. You know, I wonder if that's part of it. And the other part of it is, okay, when it comes to and, – and, and Philip, I totally agree. I, I think that the notion that we're not happy with our jobs and our bullshit jobs and – the way in which our regular jobs have become grifty 
like we discussed about doctors or lawyers, mm-hmm. um, is there's nothing. I think that's great. I think it's good that people are questioning the nature of the work. My question is, is the hustle culture a legitimate answer to that? Or is this a series of scams meant to prey off of this emergent? So, and I think this is how scams develop is there's a group of people who understands the sort of like underlying psychological motivations of people at large right now and offer an easy solution to it, which doesn't really work. But because it's so attuned to the specific mix of emotional needs that people have right now in their relation to work and the amount of and time and the incredible amount of anxiety that, you know, the precariousness of life in America right now or Canada has created uh, that there seems to be a efflorescence of scam like businesses, including multi-level marketing and other things that um, are preying on people. And you go into Asian hustle network and it seems like all these, you know, you hear all the success stories. You're not going to hear the guy that got scammed out of (laughs) $85,000 investing into some bullshit franchise business. You know what I mean? That's yeah. my I guess that's my question, Philip uh, and Jess, is is this a is there a positive aspect to this where it's kind of like, oh yeah, I mean, this is just kind of we have to double efforts to achieve financial freedom because we don't want to be chained to our jobs the way previous um uh generations did. We have more expectations out of our lives. Or is this, you know, people are desperate and they're getting scammed? Uh I would say both. Like I feel like the two questions the, the are first not actually one, like, diametrically heard, oppos- I mean, it's a, it, opposed. Uh, it's more like one kind. It's yeah. limited. The bulk of them will be small level uh, hustles, right? Um, not don't produce a lot of money. Um, at best, kind of a minor and uh, very highly unstable uh, secondary or tertiary income stream for whoever is running the hustle. Um, I, and then the, the second one is when one of them inevitably becomes a runaway hit, as in it, it uh, is able to attract the numbers to be a real like social force. Um, I think the, so. I don't really see. I don't see it as an either or. I see it as it most most of it will stay at one end of the spectrum occasionally, and probably we're going to see more a higher frequency of this. Some of them will will become runaway hits. Like this whole like uh, GameStop thing that uh, that blew up a couple weeks ago. I think that's an example of a hustle that uh, that spun way out of control and uh, aggregated enough uh, like social uh, critical mass uh, to become a real thing. Uh, but I don't I don't I don't see like selling a selling a white labeled sweatshirt as being a, 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 as being indicative of a larger thing. Uh, that's more rooted in just material material need. For people to have some kind of tertiary income, yeah, I, I actually don't like. I don't f- buy the income argument as much because I feel like, just as much as people are trying to make a living, they're also like bought into this idea that like entrepreneurship is good, right? Yeah. That we talked about, right? That it's a better form of work, better form of like value creation. If you're not doing it, you're a loser because you're just like a, a wage slave. I think that that is actually equally, if not more, powerful than. The idea of oh, I need to make enough money so I can be you know so I can have a nuclear family. I don't know because if if that was the case, it's definitely very subconscious or not spoken of, right? But the part that you do see that gets talked about on Asian Hustle Network and you know on these podcasts and all this shit uh, is the glamour side of it of like being your own boss and you know 
you know, making bank and living independently and, and so on. I think that actually has more value, right? That desire to be free has more value than like the actual money you make from it. That feels, uh, the question that is, feels are these hustles fair. actually viable businesses? Meaning, because this is the thing I always wonder, like, who is the ultimate market for this? Like, who's actually buying this stuff? Or is it more like MLME? Because I, here's, the, here's how I distinguish between a real business that is selling to a market versus an MLM. I think with MLM, what they do is they confuse, they intentionally confuse people as to whether they're sellers or buyers. They, mm-hmm. ca- they call you a seller when really you're a buyer. I think that's what the MLM is, right? Yeah, and yeah. The, every, everyone in an MLM thinks that they're a seller. But whether you're a seller or a buyer depends on when you get in, just like mm-hmm. GameStop. you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm wondering because – the reason I say this is the hustle culture is a lot – it's not like you know this really sort of like – it's not like the investor club where they're like, oh, let's talk about how to invest your cash to maximize returns. And then they get all nerdy about portfolio theory or something like that. It's uh-huh. not a discussion about how to run businesses in a real way, in my opinion. It is, to me, it's a hustle in the sense that the real product here is the promise. The real product that they're selling seems to be the promise that there is even such a thing as being able to build your business, this passive income business slowly on the side without having to quit your job. And that promise, I think, is actually what's fueling any sort of profits that are available in this space. Because I think the people who are actually making money are the coaches. I think it's the people who are selling the knowledge as to how to do this. Yeah, I'm, I'm I, with, cause I was about mm-hmm. to raise... Um, like I, The way I would think about it is uh, just looking at who makes the money in this big supply, this big network of enmeshed people and services that make up the sector. Right. Um, for these like, like influencer, like social media coaches and that, like the, in- the influencer industrial complex as Eliza uh, calls it. If you look <laughs> at that, um, I actually did a deep dive on this once because I wanted to see where the money is going and coming from. Um, and you just look at like who's making the money, right? Who's spending it and who's making it. By and large, the runaway money makers in that complex are actually the people selling services to, to these people like small level like accounting services or tailored uh tailored like web hosting services for mm-hmm. in for social media influencers account management so people can, who can run like multiple not, instagrams and, not, not and the Twitter. gold miners but the people who are selling the shovels. selling the pickaxes selling the pickaxes, pickaxes and yeah. denim yeah so um far and away those are the most lucrative uh serve mo- mo- the most lucrative elements to this quote industry which tells me that this is a scam um, if the actual people buying into it aren't making any money, but the people selling the services are, yeah, that's, that's not an industry. There's no, right. this is a, this is not a viable sector on its own. It's a, it's right. fundamentally extractive and predatory. Yeah. Yeah. I think that takes on, I, the, the I think that takes on the characteristics of a Ponzi scheme or a pyramid scheme in which people who are attracted to the notion of building a passive business on the side, that that would really fit their needs at the moment. And mm-hmm. I think that that is most people who are raising young kids at home, who are having a difficulty making ends meet, who are maybe in a work situation that they really don't find agreeable because they hate their fucking boss, mm-hmm. um, whatever it is, they really want to get out from that situation. 
that they look and I saw, you know, and I kind of I don't do deep dives into this, but I do go on YouTube sometimes to look at kind of what is the flavor of the month in terms of this side hustle business. I've noticed, for example, a lot of videos on YouTube trying to teaching people how to do affiliate marketing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's another side hustle uh, genre akin to something like drop shipping, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Philip, I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but basically <laughs> it's commission selling. It's like getting my links out there. And if someone buys a product through my link, you know, I get a little, little cut of the profits, right? That's right. And, and you'll see these guys saying, you know, I earn $150,000 a month doing nothing, you know? And I think that the reason, I think it's actually the people who want to start a side hustle who are the actual market for this, meaning yes. they're not the sellers. They think they're going to be the sellers, but really they're the buyers mm-hmm. in this market. They're the ones that are bringing money, new money to the table and they get hooked on, you know, the culture. They go into a, a intro, a gateway drug, like the Asian hustle network and stuff. And someone actually told me, on Twitter that they just got blackpilled by going in here. Cause they're just like, Jesus Christ, like this, you know, it just totally destroys <laughs> your motivation to do actual work. Right. Right. And. Oh, you should check out a- this thing I dropped in the, in the chat. It's literally the URL is literally micro uh-huh. Oh, I saw that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's kind of the same thing. Um, just that's, the- <laughs> that's such precise wording, right? Micro empire, yeah. small yeah. enough that it's bite-sized that you, anyone, even you could do it. But also, mm-hmm. it's an empire. It's under your control. You're the emperor. You're sitting on the throne on top, right? Mm-hmm. It's extremely alluring in that in that way. Yeah, and it's, it's always an interview with a test. It's always a testimony with some guy who's killing it, right? Mm-hmm. And he, they're always doing shit that you have no idea what it is. You know? <laughs> but it's always the same. It's like someone is fa- is finding is we're gonna f- be the next streetwear fashion empire. We're gonna be the next whatever. We're gonna do and oh, we moved we we moved this many units. We're doing blah 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 blah. And yeah, that still has a veneer of legitimacy. When it becomes a pyramid scheme is what you talked about, Teen. When you're selling the how-to, like, I'm going to let you in on the secret to how to do right, this. Right, right, uh, right. You know, it's a lot. Because it doesn't work. Like, no influencer who's making that much money is going to be willing to tolerate a competitor that's going to cut in on that on that haul. Well, I gather that they're hiding that side of it. Like, they present... And I'm, I, I don't I don't do deep enough dive to know how this goes, like what the pathway is. But I gather that they're letting they're baiting it with these profiles. And mm-hmm. what they really want is to build a following on social media. That's the key to this game. And I feel like they pyramid pyramidize their following. And I think part of it is they that they ultimately will try and fold you into some sort of pyramid or MLM type scheme where they, you know, will let you in on the deal. But by letting you in on what you're do- really doing is giving up your money and funding the whole thing. Right. You know, and I look at these people, they're selling these crap denim online. It looks like shit. And uh, who's the market for this? Who's buying this stuff? I have to imagine that there is some MLM layer to this if they're well, actually nobody. moving those number of units. They're not. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a there was a little study done a little while ago for in, in, Instagram influencers. Uh, like some like some something of the Instagram in, um, algorithms changed up. Um, maybe about a year year uh, two years back to heavily tilt towards people who are selling stuff. 
Uh-huh. Um, so a lot of influencers who up to that point mostly made their living on brand sponsorships, things like that, um, switched to trying to leverage their followings. And some of them, their, their numbers were, were impressive. Like we're talking like people with maybe, you know, a couple million followers sometimes. They try to pivot into actually selling merch. Um, and it was shocking how uh, how little that huge following could actually translate into moving product. Oh, really? Because it's, yeah. it's crazy because they always talk about how as an Instagram influencer, if you have an audience of 100K, 1 million, 10 million, you can be paid 100 grand just to like, you know, talk about a, you know, a lotion on your, on, on your Instagram, like for a single post, right? So yeah. if they're not actually making that company... 10 grand in profits how could that add up in any way yeah and it's it's kind of telling that over the last uh maybe like five years the uh the people sitting at the very top of the heap the people who are actually raking in that kind of cash yeah. haven't changed um all that much who, it's who again are they, the are they like the big like the big fashion brands like who are they um like like uh, if we're just talking about influencers who grew on this platform, yeah. uh, we're still talking about people who may, who started out maybe like eight or nine years ago, were first in, built a huge following, and were just completely dominated the space early right. on. And then they were able, and then sheer momentum keeps them at the top. There have been relatively few, uh, there's been relatively little churn at the very top. Right. This is this is um, the lion's share phenomenon, but played out on Instagram, basically. Basically, yeah. Um, and it's uh, so uh, so if some of these newer accounts um, with considerable following, so you can still build a following fairly easily mm-hmm. on those platforms. If they try to do like a line of T-shirts or something, this product won't move. It it'll only move if you are one of the names at the very top. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So in the same way, it's it's the earlier you get in, the the more likely you can actually monetize it successfully. If you're yeah. coming in super late, you can still work really fucking hard to get a hundred thousand or even fifty thousand followers, and you won't make make as much money or be profitable in any way. Yeah, and uh, it's it's extremely rare for for even the top influencers to be able to become standalone brands. Like they won't launch a like say a shoe label under their own name. Mm-hmm. They will still have to partner with an existing brand um, to make the, to like sell a line of shoes under that brand. Um, you know, like a collaboration. The collaboration yeah. model is pretty much the only way that uh, influencers can make money on actual product. And this still involves then the convergence of two different brands. Um, the influencer on the one hand and the actual like an, an established legit uh, product developer uh, brand. So the market's Wait, the market's busted, right? Because like yeah. from what you're saying from this study, it's actually not financially feasible to do this, right? To be an Instagram model, influencer, or whatever. Yet we still hear about like, you know, thousands of people trying to break into this space. And also like hundreds of people are trying to sell courses on how to do it, even though it doesn't but, make any money. But I think mm-hmm. that's is I mean, if I understand what Jess is saying, um, is that no, that's not really it. It's not that it's not viable. It is viable. It's just that people don't understand what role they're playing in this. I think it's like most people are just making it viable for the ones on top. Right? Yes, that's the right? thing. Yeah. So you think that you're playing the game as I'm on the seller side. I'm, I'm like on the inside of this business. Mm-hmm. But really... You're on the outside for the big for the big for, for the for the bigger players, and it's there's a circular logic to this, uh, and I and I and I think that part of the reason it has to be this way 
is because in almost every case, except for like very minor cases, like you said, Philip, like where they're actually making stuff, like making soaps, like right. at home. Right. Like small examples like that. Or my favorite, which is the woman who had her nine-year-old son sewing uh, <laughs> COVID masks. And no. I love that one because that's that's fucking hustle. I mean, this kid is at the sewing. He's nine years old at a sewing machine making masks and selling them for $2 a pop, undercutting the market. Um, aside from that, where there is actual labor. Can we just call that child labor, man. That's... <laughs> Oh, yeah, but that's called hustle. I don't know why America... No. Uh, <laughs> you, call, you, you say potato, I say potato. Uh, Teen's whipping hand is strong. <laughs> I mean, the kid, there's a, like, the, okay, the picture is like this cute kid sewing at a machine, like a, at this like industrial-sized sewing machine making masks. And then that the next the one is image him. image for this pod. Yeah, I, I'm going to I'm going to use that. I'm going to ask her if I can use permission. And the next one is him just totally passed out on like a pile of masks at like 2 p.m. It's like still sunny outside and the poor kid is just like passed out. But what I mean is like that is hustle, right? In the in the productive sense, meaning like what we're what we have here and this is real capitalism. Here's my other question is is this capitalism even? Because the the sort of orthodox view of capitalism is, you know, I have capital. I have a sewing machine Right, I have labor. I have my nine-year-old kid, and then I put, I, I put them together in a sweatshop, my kitchen, and out comes these products, these commodities, these masks. That you know, I make more masks than I can use. Right, I my kid made a hundred masks over the past eight hours, uh -huh. and I don't even give my kid a mask. He doesn't wear a mask, <laughs> so uh, he made one hundred you know, surplus masks and he can take those to market and sell it for money or whatever. I mean, in a way, like that's hustle in, in, in the real sense of like, you know, out of this, out of sweat and child abuse came 100 masks more for the entire community. That's capitalism, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Here, it's like, no one's really doing anything. They're just taking products that were made somewhere else. Yeah, that's and the thing. And like, you have to pay for them. No uh -huh. market was created. Uh, no real product was created. Right. Um, there's nothing new. You're 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 kind of just shunting little bits of money or at the edges, uh, funneling little bits of money and product around on the edges. Yeah, probably. Yeah, you're, you're, you you are here. the edge, right? If you want to yeah. buy into this, I feel like you are the edge. And your protection, what you can do is, if you're able to bring a following in yourself. Then you're sort of like hedged in the sense that I'm following someone else, but I'm also bringing followers in. So I've got a, I'm getting, you know, my blood sucked out of me on this end, but I'm sucking blood from the other end. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And it's just a, it's just a mass pyramid of. It's a of human centipede. Extractive. Of yeah. Blood Extraction. or shit sucking, yeah. but you want to suck more than you excrete. And I'm, and I'm around. sucking pure money. I'm not, it's not sucking labor. I'm not like bringing workers to the table to produce anything. This is literally just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just taking my spoon and taking some of your cash. Yeah. Realistically, you know? someone, remember, on the, um, someone on the edge of this MLM would be the market that they're creating is just like their friends and family. Right. Cause you have like, you know, some, some like cousin or someone who's a sucker who gets into one of these businesses, they're probably going to try to get their friends and family in at the beginning to support them. And you want to support them yeah. because yeah, they're trying to do their own business, trying to break off from their, their day job. Right. It, it's an honor. It seems like an honorable thing to do. Um, I, but I, I, I think that, that's the real danger of this stuff, you know, um, Cause it's because it's hurting uh, like people around you in your net network. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, because part of this is, and um, 
you know, we're rounding out an hour. So I think what we've, we've been doing is like, you know, we should probably wrap this up for the free pod and then we'll, we'll kind of go into the overflow for the bonus. But um, just to end, I guess this, this section, I think like there is uh, um, a desire out there or there is a mandate out there uh, in these sort of like hustle scams to quote, monetize your social context. Yeah. Right. To turn what I think are personal and social connections with people and turn them into uh, sales and business connections. And there was this uh, I dropped this into the discord chat. We had a pretty lively chat about this in discord today. Um, this is from Asian Hustle Network. This was screenshotted as sort of like, you know, they have a podcast and everything, the Asian Hustle Network podcast. And this was like, you know, the, the choice quote from this podcast, the one that really brought to, you know, really, really summarized what, what this person was, was trying to say in their interview by the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Um, I believe that genuine connections are built through authenticity. People buy from people. It's time to take off our masks. I think at the end of the day, we all just want love and connections. Money will be a byproduct when we come from a place of adding value and giving back. And, uh, I'm not sure what that means, but it <laughs> it, it really it shows just a, a Markov chain pulled. It, from it's a Markov chain of verbs and social nouns. media. Yeah, that's wait, not wait, a real wait, wait, person. So what are they selling? Uh, <laughs> are they a real person? Is my question. Interestingly, <laughs> Clover yeah. Lamb gave that. It, it, she's a fa- she's the founder of what uh, unconventional Asians, which is described, I think, as um, an online platform that promotes self development for Asians. The content is presented with a twist. I use myself as the experiment to feature other wellness experts in the community to expose the authentic process of inner work, challenging the Asian standards of engineered perfection. So, you know, classic business model. Uh, I I love that last bit, though. The Asian standard of engineered perfection. (laughs) Challenging the Asian standards of engineered perfection. Yeah. Um, And I think like... The but that quote I, I really that quote really brought it home for me because there, there was a real confusion here and almost like a sort of defensiveness about you know the, these words genuine connections authenticity uh, but then t- it's well people buy from people time to take off our masks at the end of the day we want love and connections and money will be a byproduct when we come from a place of adding value and giving back meaning you should. I think what it's trying to say is don't feel guilty about making money off of people. That doesn't mean that you have that that is that is not a genuine, authentic and loving relationship just because you are um, making friends based on the notion that they should be paying you or entering into a business transaction. I, I feel like that's what that quote was getting at. And I feel like that's the central corrosion, the corrosiveness of this. And I feel like. Uh, the reason I really wanted to was really thinking about this today was just because the growth of this, uh, of this quote, I don't even want to call it an industry, but this culture of side hustle is where we as a society have become, this is my really dark interpretation of it. We've become so unproductive and we've become so unable to create wealth communally that what we're really doing now is we're starting to cannibalize each other. And we're start, we're starting to cannibalize our social connections, including even to our friends and family, for uh-huh. the purposes of appropriating as much cash as we're able and money as we can from them. 
and to not feel we're acculturating ourselves to not feel bad about that. Because yeah, in a way, I think there's an we almost feel a necessity to do that now because it's just so grim out there. That's that's my interpretation of what's going on, and I find I find that to be very grim. I don't know if you all share that, but um, that's 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 how I that's how I view it. I I think that's correct. I think we're coming up on seeing like the brutal uh, end game of this philosophy that's been in development for about maybe five hundred years. Again, David Graeber, it's talking about if we go back to like the concept of honor, um, it's some you gain it by taking from others. So you get ahead by by stealing by debasing someone else. In if we're assuming that there is no uh, that that the ceiling is capped, then there's no it's not a growth mind, mindset. It's a uh, it's it's a theft mindset. You have to just take it from people. A non-zero sum, a, a zero sum, mindset. a zero sum game. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that is why you know we we laugh about the language that overly florid wellness and mental health speak and you know community everything that can, that we value as non commoditizable yet we're turning we're doing that to hide that we are turning it into a commodity. So Philip, any any uh, last thoughts before we round out the free portion here? Uh, I mean, I would I would add that I still am not fully convinced that it's strictly just about like money and material means. I think that there is this aspect of it where we've kind of deluded ourselves to thinking that this is the better way of spending our time. Like going back to that idea that like, oh, we're going to spend, you know, a third of our days for like 30 to 40 years of our lives just like working a shit job. I think that like the desire to get over that is driving this potential cannibalization of our own like fans, friends and family, like social networks, more so than just the desire to like make a buck outside of my job as a, you know, social media manager or whatever it is I do in my day job. Um, yeah, I think that's a really valid point because I don't think these people are starving, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially the doctors, right? Like, what the, f- like, this, this is the thing about our one hour conversation. The thing to start to meet the most still is just like, why the fuck are doctors doing this? Right. You know? Right, 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 right. Um, well, we should tackle that in the, uh, in the, in the bonus portion. Um, but anyway, that was uh, super interesting. If you are uh, interested in hearing the rest of the convo, I guess uh, come and support us on Patreon, where all of the Patreon cash that we get goes towards paying Asian American writers um, and uh, you know trying to find a place for people to publish where their views on their views on um, politics and and things like that may not lend them an easy natural place to find other places to publish. So. Uh, <laughs> totally not a hustle. Totally not a scam. <laughs> hey. hey, hey, hey! I didn't say hustles were scams. Okay, They're, this Just is a real hustle. Patreon.com/slash/planamatic. Okay, if you want to hear the real deal. Because, yeah, there you go. Like we, you don't even know what we do. What we just said is just an introduction. To the depths that we really yeah, go the to real behind meat, the, the sizzle to this steak that happens right. that happens in the premium hour. Philip just gave you a tease as to what we're really going into. <laughs> we're going to do a deep dive into the real nature of what's going on. So, yeah. Anyway, so like and subscribe. Yeah.